Hello, hello, hello. What's good? Wagwan, what's happening? Blessings and welcome to episode 131 of the Lunar Poetry Podcast. My name is the Repeat Beat Poet, your conversational host doing the most, bringing you unfiltered and in-depth interviews with poets from the UK and further afield, investigating the worlds of those who make magic with words. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, please do save, like, rate, download it, share it with someone who might enjoy it. Word of mouth has always been our best recommendation. I hope you're all keeping safe and well wherever you are. Quick update. Uh, For the past month or so, I've been staying at the Library of Africa and the African Diaspora, or LOATAD, in Accra, Ghana, and also spent a brief time at the Savannah Centre for Contemporary Arts in Tamale, Uh, Both places I was a writer in residence. Um, So I'd like to say a specific thank you to all of the Ghanaian writers and artists I've met across the past month. Special shout to Elizabeth Johnson of Writers Project Ghana for her fantastic interviews. Uh, To Sylvia Arthur, the librarian and curator of LOTAD. uh, And to my fellow residents Sally Alhak and Kristen Calhoun. Um, While I was out there... I was also conducting some on-the-ground research for an upcoming show. Uh, It's a climate cabaret jazz poetry night centred around the uh, terrifying prospect that if global temperatures continue to rise at the rates they are, within 30 years, coffee and chocolate could literally go extinct. That is nightmare fuel if ever I've heard it. Uh, But thankfully... This week's guest is a uh, career-long activist and advocate for environmental justice and is also the artistic director of the aforementioned CC's Speakeasy. That's the, uh, that's the show. Her name is Zena Edwards. She is a real innovator and originator within the contemporary UK spoken word scene. She's a writer, poet, performer, facilitator, creative project developer, vocalist, tarot reader and a personal inspiration. Across the episode, we discuss navigating corporate spaces while maintaining integrity, uh, the importance of orality and sound within poetry, and how indigenous African peoples and systems of knowledge have guided Zena's work. That's everything by way of introduction. For now, I hope you're ready for another episode of Lunar Poetry Goodness. Let's get into the conversation. Hello to you, the wonderful Zena Edwards. Are you there? I am, PJ. I am. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> you know what? I am all the more happy to be speaking to you. Um, I'm really happy to have you on the Lunar Poetry Podcast. Um, from when I started doing poetry in London, your names was your name kept on cropping up. And it was a while before I first saw you, but I never forget the first time I saw you um, because you transported me to this place of like emotional connection. Um, And I really thank you for all that. Um, And so I wanted to have that one just to just to open up the podcast. You're a really inspirational person um, to me in my poetry career. Um, So I want to say thank you for all the work that you do just straight off the bat, just straight off the bat. Welcome. Thank you. That's made me a little bit emotional, actually, because um, you never know who you touch when you do your work. You know, you, you never know who you touch or how you touch them. You just have faith in the work and the love and the passion that you have for it. 
and and your desire to to share and make beautiful things happen and it's it's always lovely for me to, and encouraging for me it doesn't matter how long I've been doing this it's always encouraging when people come back and say you know what you really moved me you really inspired me so that's made my morning thank you very much I'm incredibly glad to have to have given that given that back to you just to let you know how much you've impacted me um for the people who are listening to the podcast who haven't heard of you or heard of your work could you just give us a brief introduction to who you are and what you do as a poet Okay, so um, yeah, I, I, it's really interesting that I, I am called a poet. Um, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I'm one of those people who has to write to stay sane, to stay well. And I've been doing it for 20, ah, 27 years. I've been, I have to fess up, 27 years I've been writing and exploring the, the literary, uh, the, the poetry corner of the literary world. and. Um, yeah, I, I write poetry, I write blogs, I write theatre plays, I write articles, I write essays and stuff, lots of stuff I write. Um, but I'm known as a poet, that's how I've made my living, and also as a musician as well, well, as a singer, as singing um, has been a massive part of my life and I've fused the two. Um, over the last like 10 years, I've been really engrossed and embedded in some activist work just more recently around environmental and climate justice issues. But prior to that, I was really, that's when the UK summer insurrections happened in 2011, I got deep into youth work and empowering young, young voices or not empowering, emboldening them because you're already empowered. We just need to know that. <laughs> you just need to know that. Um, they so already have voices myself, as well. We need to just empower Exactly. Exactly. Or just encourage them to, to step into it and use it, you know, like use it. You have power, use it. Um, so um, with that pro with, with that work, I, I did filmmaking. Um, I did also more theatre production, zine making. So all the different mediums that we can get poetry voices out there, I made sure were used all the different platforms, all the different art forms that are out there, which is why I set up a company called Verse in Dialogue, which means verse in dialogue with other art forms, just exactly what it says on the tin um, and what comes out of that. So um, so from that, uh, Verse in Dialogue has just been a production house of lots of different projects. And and I've been doing it as a one-woman band, you know, like uh, getting getting funding roughly here and there, collaborating and partnering with people, uh, like the pop-up storytelling, uh, pop-up children's storytelling festival. I did poetic debaters with them, uh, which is using poetry to debate. I did um, the Fury Project with uh, the Albany, as I was associate artist there for a little while. And the Fury Project is an exploration of the of all emotions, but mainly anger. And anger as a transformative power. Uh, so just uh, that was an art installation, that was film that was made, that was a theatre production, uh, theatre and dance production. So there's lots of little things that I do that make me more than just a poet. I'm, I produce, I'm a cultural producer and, um, and an advocate for other people to step into their cultural producing power. <laughs> and um, yeah, and feel. Um, feel uh what's the word I'm looking for um yeah I guess to feel um oh there's a particular word I'm looking for but yeah you know, I guess it's, it's empowerment but empowered to 
use your creative and artistic voice to, to for for well being and for building your life. Basically, that's how I use my craft. Mm. That was long. <laughs> that, thank you for the for the clarification. No, the thing is, sometimes we need that length to really try to encapsulate the many different aspects of the work that we do. Um, I use the term poetry as a as an overall catch-all term because it's the Lunar Poetry Podcast. But all of the sure. guests that I've interviewed so far have been multidisciplinary artists, um, and even if they are focused on one art form, um, it's important uh, as as your company kind of like you know uh, puts forward to put poetry in dialogue with other art forms because you know mm. who are we to say that a story isn't best told in film or in uh sculpture or in or in a different a different way um so yeah so so thank you for for putting those parameters as broad as your work actually is um yeah uh so i'm gonna jump straight in with a couple um a couple personal things that i wanted to ask you um just writer to writer um We've worked together on a couple of projects, um, one of which was an immersive spoken word theatre show um, that Apples and Snakes uh, produced um, called Rallying Cry that was held at the Batsy Arts Centre. Um, and in the kind of research and development stage for this show, um, I was a, uh, like, you know, a supporting poet um, receiving mentoring from your fine self. Um, and many things that you said in those research and development weeks have stuck with me in terms of how we can place ourselves as human beings before we are artists or poets or musicians. Um, yeah, you said that, to place yourself, your wants, your desires, your fears, your emotions as a human being, to place that stuff into the art form and into the performance. You said that that's a life's work. You said that that's mm. not just something that you do at one event or for one performance. You said it's the work of a whole life. And you said that to me almost three years ago now, and I can still remember it because I think it speaks to longevity, it speaks to integrity, and it speaks to honesty, kind of marrying the space between, like, you know, who we are as people when we think no one's watching or the cameras aren't on or we're not on stage, and then what we do when people are watching, when we are on stage, when we're in performance. But that performance um, isn't just, uh, you know, when you're on stage, it's when you're living your life. This is the thing about the immersive spoken word theatre show. It was, it was allowing people to just walk around Battersea Art Centre and discover art. Um, and I've tried to keep this... I've tried to keep this train of thought alive whenever I think about performing on stage or putting out work into a public realm where people can view it and watch it. Um, and so I wanted to ask you about the importance of um, honesty in your work, like bringing who you are to your work. How have you managed to keep your integrity and keep your honesty across you know, a proper long and still going, you know, career. I'm, I'm, I really want to know that. Okay. 
wow, uh, you know, you just don't know what you say. I'm saying you don't know what you say sometimes and what sticks with some people. So that that um, little nugget that you held on to um, came through a really hard life experience. <laughs> you have to go through something for something to be embodied. And that's what happened. So basically, I'm going to try and keep this short. But it was 19, back in 1994, it was 1994 was when South Africa, uh, when apartheid came down, right, in South Africa. 2004, the British Council was doing a project where we, where we married, uh, got together um, three or four South African poets uh, and myself and a couple of, and myself and a couple of other poets from the UK. I, I unfortunately I can't remember their name, but yeah, so we were doing this project and um, I had been performing this work with the British council for quite a while. I was getting nicely paid every day, um, every day that I did work with them. And we were on this tour, we were in Switzerland and I remember going up to these two South African poets, Kafela and uh, the guy who runs the Chimarengua um, the magazine that, uh, in South Africa. Like, it's really cool, on point, political, trendy, you know, mag magazine for young black, for young black, conscious minds. And I went up to them to ask them a question because I hadn't done this often. I, I asked them a question around South Africa and I couldn't really remember what the question was because I remember what their response was. They looked at me, looked me up and down, kissed their teeth and said, ah, English girl. And I was like, what? So I turned and walked away and then I just thought, no, hold on a second. And I did a 180 and I thought, no, I've got to say something here. I said, I have been with you because I know this is a South African tour. We're looking at celebrating if you can celebrate the coming down of apartheid 10 years ago I said but you've not once asked me what my black experience my black racist experience is in in Britain what my experience is as a person as a black woman in Britain you don't know what my grandfather went through what my mother went through you haven't once asked me there hasn't been an exchange it's all about you guys I said what you just now said to me was unkind and you don't know me so um it just so happens that um the guy who ran the magazine was also a DJ on the session. So um, I said, look, after you've done this, can you, when we go perform, I want you to play the B-side of Wadada uh, by um, Culture. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reggae, a dub track. I said, play the B-side. Um, and I read this poem at the next performance. And I, um, they came up to me and said, oh, sister, sister, we didn't realise, we didn't know that you were like this. We didn't, we've never heard this side of you before and then I realized the poems I had been reading previously were very tame they were very insipid but they were comfortable for being an ambassador for the British Council right ah. and I've got to just say it as it is they didn't they didn't have the depth they didn't have the depth they didn't have my truth in them they I was performing and getting paid and that was the first time I actually felt like I was pimping myself out to my to my to my craft um i'm just and i'm speaking just speaking frankly here so when i got back to london i decided i was going to write in a different voice and i i spoke in my most authentic voice and literally the work dried up in three weeks and i wasn't getting Ooh. 250 pound paid gigs i was back to my 30 40 pound gigs here having to drive all over the city thinking so to be authentic you have to not get paid 
Now, I don't believe that. I believe if you stay authentic, stay in your voice, stay in who you are, people are going to buy you who you are. They're going to come for what you stand for. And it's taken many years um, of cultivating my voice, getting back to who I am, cultivating um, the power and the strength in my my personal experience as a woman as, of, of African descent in the UK, as an artist, as a Gemini, as somebody who's a bit of a geek when it comes to tech, as somebody who um, is very concerned about the earth, who's somebody who thinks the human being isn't such a bad creature. We're, we're, we're learning, we're getting there, but it takes time. So for me, life is an exploration. It's a journey. It's an evolution. I enjoy working with young people because they keep my mind sharp, you know. Um, and um, I'm also interested in how I can be part of changing the world and making it the place that it should be for us to exist. And for me, that's a lifelong journey. So um, the, the longer you stay in your, in your honest voice, in your integrity, you'll see yourself evolving and so that's why your work will always evolve as well your work will mature your the people who you move around with the kind of brains that you you vibe with that's going to inform who uh, how your work manifests also um and what kind of voices because your your people who are around you reflect you right so um as you as you cultivate in your voice as you get older and mature into your voice, you're maturing into life and life experiences, your voice will change and grow. I hope that answers the question, got a bit long. Um, no, no, this is, this is all like fantastic. Um, it's the type of stories that, you know, in private conversations, um, I know that you have spoken about, but yeah. to have your perspective and to be able to put it on record as we're doing now is, is so important because there's there's not enough space for us to analyze our own journeys i find a lot of the time um and by space i don't just mean an area where we can do it i mean like a productive and creative space where we can look back at um you know the 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 careers we've been blessed to have publicly and then the writing that we've done privately and it's important to keep on checking back in so that we keep growing. Um, and it's, it, you know, in, in that answer, you said something that, that really caught me and is that, you know, apartheid in South Africa ended in 1994, or like formal apartheid ended in 1994. I was born in 1994. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like these things change incredibly quickly. Right. And we think that, the way it is is the way that it will always be and it can never be any other way. But doing that work of self-reflection and looking at how we ourselves grow across time, we can see ways in which we can change yeah. the outside world and the external world through our actions. Um, and so never be afraid to go super in-depth or to go super long. It's what we love on the Lunar Poetry Podcast. Um <laughs> but we do also love hearing uh, hearing poetry and hearing music. Um, traditionally, we ask guests to come on and read a few poems. But seeing as you've worked so, um, seeing as you've intertwined poetry and music 
so consistently, so excellently. What we're going to do is take a short break now to hear some of your music, um, some of your poetry, and then we'll come back and have a little chat about that. First track up is going to be Brothers Keeper. Um, could you tell us a bit about uh, this track and where it comes from? I think this is you with um, with, with with Henrik and, and Randolph Matthews, who's an incredible vocalist as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I wrote Brothers Keeper probably about four or five, maybe even six years before I met Randolph and uh, and Henrik and uh, and Mosfeles uh, and. I always, it was my personal belief that I was going to work with young people. I was a young, when I was about 17, I thought I want to work with young people, but I want to show that I'm, uh, I've got a thinking process behind why I want to work with them and how I want to support young people. So the piece was quite old. Well, with working with um, Moss and Henrik and, and, and Randolph, this was just a space where there was about, there was four people who were just really keen about how sound makes stories so it wasn't even necessarily about the words we were saying we just got together experimented with this the sonics of words and the poetry of music and the phraseology and the cadences all of these words that we use in music also gets used in poetry so we threw together this kind of band situation where we just played we didn't even perform for anything but after a while we started performing and then we decided we were going to do a recording and this is how tracks like Brothers Keeper and another track that you can't play because it's a bit long Musica came about Musica is actually our anthem Musica is the track that's about how life is music um but anyway Brothers Keeper was was just my um my ode to to the youth and how I'm out here to support you wonderful let's run the track Excuse me, have you seen Elijah? Have you seen him? Look, tell him I gotta find him, yeah? Tell him I gotta find him because he dropped his dreams. The ones he told me about when we were on the same team. I was listening, tell him I was listening. They called out to me from behind an overflowing recycle bin in Hackney, Dalston, when the snow was falling and the concrete was frozen. And they shine, man. They shine with their heads inclined towards the sun, like flowers of the mind defying the gravity of disillusion. But like all good intentions unfulfilled, they've been left to fester. Like babies abandoned daily, they crave for the attention from a loving somebody. Ah, but now he's cutting his teeth on the streets, where it's always winter and the taste is bitter. But he knew it was an acquired one and I told him take the red pill. But he chose to remain ignorant, learning knife drills of kill or be killed, feeding street demons the thrill, claiming his bling as his reparation sting, desiring shiny cars with enough brown skin to fill, while his sofa is a speaker box in the middle of a cold room. And his mum, his mum wants him to come home still. You see me, I'm, I'm trying to be a brother's keeper. I've got Elijah's back, man. So when you see him, Tell him, tell him I'll keep him safe. His dreams, I'll keep him safe while he goes to college. And tell him to learn something and acquire knowledge and feed the foliage of his branching mind. I mean, he was happy when he got in, but now he's slipping. Killing time, skunk weed smoking, other man's tings and gal watching. Not a plan a young black man should place his bets on. You see, a young black man should face life head on. And the options are slim out here, slim as concrete cracks. And young blacks slip into those cracks every day. So tell him, walk good, Elijah J. You see the road, the road is, 
is long and dangerous So Elijah must remember, he must remember to leave an offering for The God of the road, Eshuelegba And the God of the road is tricky and fearsome Tell him to at least pour a rum libation for those who have gone before him For all of his wishes You see, Eshu might send night riders, human fetishes in government issue uniforms To come eat him alive and his shape-shifting skills better hold fast Cause even knowing his rights might not protect him still See me? I'm just trying to be a brother's keeper Tell him I've got his back Elijah So if you see him, if you see Elijah, tell him I've got the dreams I've got his dreams and they shine brighter than any bling And they have inner gleam They fell from his pocket when in shock it was necessary to run from his baby mama's property Cause she called the police, screaming out the window for the whole neighbourhood to know that I see you Elijah Johnson, you're a piece of shit One packet of nappies does not a father make you gangster fake Take a look at this picture Yes, Junior, Elijah's Junior He's two months in score Looks like his daddy more and more in every way And he said his first words the other day Shut a boom blow, shut a boom blow <laughs> Yeah, that's right, shut a boom blow And Candy's cries when she watches Junior sleep And says that his eyes know something And she fears for him But I tell her don't worry Just stop that shaggy cousin of hers From feeding him rum and coke through straws And leaving rums of hash around the house And that hard ragger is not the only music in the world Ears need silence too Seeing as silence does exist But I guess silence scares some people still But you see me trying to be this brother's keeper so if you see him tell him tell Elijah I've got his dreams that they are beautiful man they are beautiful he should see how they sing ring and gleam and how they have the faces of his kin who walk before him they will protect him and if he listens they talk to inform him that though his physical eye may be 2020 his heart wanders blindly without his North Star dreams to guide him through and they know exactly what to do tell him all they need is for him to trust them his faith will feed them and they Thank you so much, Zena, for letting us air that. Um, thank you especially for sending it through to me because I don't think you can find any of these tracks online. They're a bit exclusive. They're a bit underground. 
They're on my SoundCloud, but that's about it. <laughs> okay. Well, then, in which case, then, I will link uh, to where you can find some of these tracks in the show notes um, for anybody listening. A thing that really interested me about that that song is the the combination of instruments and, and what you were saying just before about um, following the sound, like following the aspect of sound as the almost primary, like, creative um question that you're almost tying uh you know your 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 experiences and your emotions to um i once heard you play a version of afro blue um at the rich mix i think it was a uh apples and snakes night and you played a uh, like a mouth harp um and that was another moment where i saw you using sound like the 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 literal sonority of words and vibrations um yeah yeah. so how why why have you focused um on that as a organizing kind of um as a creative like structure what is it about looking at the sheer sound that does something that maybe poetry doesn't or or, or what does that do for you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, the human voice is the first instrument, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so you can, I, you, there's traditional indigenous songs out there that don't have any words, but they story tell an entire culture and history of a people in just in their song, just in the sound of their voice in this. And uh, I'm always, I've, I've always been interested in the voice as a, as a conduit, as a vehicle. I always want to say a chariot, you know, like something that carries our identity and our culture. And, you know, but a culture's, a culture aside carries our humanity, right? Our humanity, including the light and the dark side of who we are. Um, so um, for me, the human voice accompanied with an instrument that has that, the the harp that you're talking about, I got that, which is is an important part of this, this little chat we're having because the harp I got that when I went, I was doing a project and I went to Namibia. So I slept in the Kalahari desert for like five nights under the Milky way, which is like, I mean, I can't even tell you, you've never seen stars like the stars. Like it's like daylight. There's so many stars. There's just, it's just stars. <laughs> um, and I was there with my, my mentor pops Muhammad, and we were doing a project working with um, the Khoisan tribe. Khoisan tribe are like first nation peoples. They've been around for like 50,000 years. Um, they're, they're pygmy people. So they're small. Um, they, the, Namibia was colonized by the Germans, so they were hunted like vermin. So they're endangered as well. Um, they're suffering at the moment also because, um, climate change is really affecting their home, their homeland. They already live in a desert and they live on reservations. This is the, the legacy of colonialism. But having stayed with these people and they're like my family now. So when I always ask after them, when they come to London, I will visit them. There's a family called the Gooby family, and the Gooby, Gooby, who is the leader of this particular reservation, the guardian of this particular group of people on this reservation, of Khoisan on this reservation, he's the shaman. Uh, uh, he's a shaman. His cousin, uh, Anna, Anna, she's also a shaman. Like, she just fall into trance, like, 
in <laughs> you have to be careful she's always got somebody with her who helps her to not fall into trance because she can fall into trance like in a, in in a, in a heartbeat basically so um and she has polio so you know there's something just very special and magical about her so gooby um he plays a mouth bow he gave me that bow so that bow has got some oh, wow. magic in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he gave me that bow. So that that so when I use it, I, it's it's very sacred to me, um, and it always makes me extremely emotional. And I always go off in a little bit of a zone with it because it's that kind of hum, kind of the harmonics that come from it is it's it's very meditative. Um, so to put the voice next to the the harp, uh, the sound of the harp for me, is about transporting. It is about other realms. It is about the power of the human voice with these kinds of instrumentation to be able to create the atmosphere where we're, we're not open to suggestion, that sounds spooky, but we're open to receive messages. We're open to receive um, the, the, the core of what the story is trying to tell you about your humanity, what it's trying to tell you about the human experience, our fragility, our resilience, our ability to, to manifest whatever we want, you know, um, and, and the, the, how we must see life as a rich experience. And I think that's why I love poetry, because once you put the words, the symbolism of the words on top of the human voice, and it's able to go into our ears and the voice being able to change the energy in a space, like literally, you know, this is why we talk about great orators like um, Martin Luther King and, you know, don't really like saying the dude's name, but he galvanized the people like Hitler just through his voice, the power of the voice. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you can use it for good or you can use it for evil ultimately because the human voice has so much power to be able to galvanize. And I think great, we see who great orators are because they they understand the musicality of words, they understand the musicality of the voice and how to use it. Um, And also because I sing, um, I'm very aware about how you place the voice in the body, your head voice, your chest voice, uh, your your head voice, chest voice, and like your, the belly part of you, like the, the deeper resonance of you. So, um, you know, I, it, the, the body is an instrument. The whole body is an instrument and our voice comes from it. So we have to be in tune with our bodies as well. Like keep our bodies healthy. That's, that's, a, um, that's part of well-being as well. So the whole thing with um, using mm. me having this... Uh, fascination with the voice and also with going back to the previous part of our conversation the integrity and honesty you can hear when somebody believes in what they're saying you can hear it and you can hear when it, when something is kind of mechanized and robotic and stuff like that um but i'll be honest with you there's days when i've been like absolutely exhausted and i've done gigs but because i know how to use the voice for, technically you wouldn't know that i was having a really bad day <laughs> you wouldn't know you know, and that's not just professionalism. It's just the ability to be able to tune into the voice as an instrument um, and to, to do the job still, which yeah. is for me is to create community moments. People don't have to know my, my anxieties or my pain in that moment. They just need to have stories. And, I, and most of the time when I've done those kinds of gigs, I've felt much better afterwards because the energy exchange with the audience has been amazing.
you're just you're just dropping gems here. You're dropping sheer gems and knowledge, Zena. I'm so um, I'm 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 in two minds always when I do these recordings because I'm trying to listen attentively and then also be aware that we're recording a podcast. But I've just got my mind firing on all these cylinders of things I want to ask you. Um, but no, thank you for the. Um, you can do that another day. You can do that another day over a drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One day soon. After this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um just to come back on um so when you were speaking about um being in namibia and um and uh and being with um like you know the indigenous people of that land um you mentioned that the reservations that they're on are being threatened by obviously increasing like you know uh, ecological breakdown and um you mentioned uh, earlier on in the episode, obviously, about like being a human being and being connected to the world and the earth. Um, mm. So much of your work does a great job um, in my mind, and I remember it, for bringing ecological issues, which I thought were always kind of the territory of, for want of a better phrase, like, you know, um, soy drinking Extinction Rebellion, vegans, middle-class, white climate activists in their day job. Anyway, um, you managed to always recenter, like, what I think is an actual radical view of climate breakdown by recentering oppressed peoples, often colonized peoples, dark skinned people on the continent often who are clearly facing climate disaster and breakdown in a more immediate way than we feel it here in the West. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you how, how your environmental activism and how your environmental kind of thought um, has been helped or interacts with your poetry. Um, I know it's obviously, it's a huge topic, but like, I think, you know, there is no planet B climate disaster is like the ultimate kind of, um, the ultimate kind of thing to organize around, because if you don't have a planet and you can't eat and you can't breathe, then where else are we? Yeah. So um, I wanted to see if you could just speak to speak to how your ecological, um, activism interacts with your poetry. Um, I've you've almost answered it for me, actually. <laughs> um, just because, um, yeah, we only have this one home. This is this is all we have, you know. And the bottom line is, like, look, for me, the Earth is going to save itself. It's about us saving us. Like, I I get very disappointed and a bit angry when people say, oh, human beings, we're such an awful species, you know, we're so bad, we're by nature, we're evil, you know, we're by nature, we're selfish. And I'm just like, I don't know which human beings you're hanging out with, but the people I'm hanging out with aren't by nature evil. They're not, you know, I don't know who you're hanging out with. Um, but, you know, there's there's this when we pay attention and look at the, the, the random acts of kindness that we take for granted, then we can see that actually we're, 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 we are, we are, like I said earlier, we are light and shade. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're light and shadow. Sorry. Um, and I think there's this evolution 
that we're going through. There's this journey we're going through. If we go via like, you know, Christian faith, we've only been around a few thousand years. Whereas I'm talking about Khoisan, the Khoisan who have been around for 40, 50,000 years and other Aboriginal groups who have been around for 40, 50,000 years, 60,000 years. Um, and we have, we have seen, um, the evolution of man through tech or of the human through tech, through technologies. The technology we use shows us where our minds can go, our evolution. Doesn't necessarily mean that our emotional intelligence has gone along with it. Doesn't necessarily mean our uh, evolution to um, be more engaged with the planet in a much more, how can I put sacred kind of way, um, has come, gone along with it. However, when you look at indigenous groups, you see their sacredness, their sacred interaction with the earth, which is one of mutual exchange, which is one of reciprocity. They understand that, you know, um, the rent, the rent, the, the planet is our home and we are literally tenants. We are tenants on, on the planet. And right now the West is behaving like bad tenants. We're kicking in holes in the walls. We're, you know, digging up the garden. We're, um, you know, wrecking the furniture. We're bad tenants, ultimately. So for me, I'm thinking about looking at indigenous and ancient knowledge and seeing how we can bring that into the present, how we can activate ancient, ancient knowledge and activate it in the present to use it for us to be able to live in the future. And this is where there's something very timeless about indigenous knowledge because it's all about sustaining um, and a recipe reciprocal relationship with the planet with the earth with plants that eat light and give us air to breathe i'm like they're our parents <laughs> they eat light and give us air there's magic in that to, so that we can breathe our wastes that we exhale is their food for us also to be able to breathe so there's a reciprocity there that we just we take for granted but this is where um, you get start. You start thinking about this a term called resourcism, which is rooted in sort of like um, the Christian idea of of Adam and Eve in the garden, where the garden is just there for Adam and Eve to, for us humans to just take, 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 take because we're we're supreme, the supreme being. Um, but that also means when when you have a colonial narrative that's that's put on top of that. That means that anybody who's Susan, who has the technology, which is usually war machines, to come into a land and say, like, for example, the Aboriginals in Australia were only given, like, removed out of the status of being part of the flora and fauna in 1969. So that meant that they could be treated however they, the settlers wanted to treat them because they were just part of the flora and fauna. This is a resourcism, a resourcist, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not tenet, but principle, the way that you can treat Viewpoint them. or understanding? Uh, viewpoint, understand, methodology, mode, MO, you know, modus operandi. Uh, this is why the Aboriginals can be treated so disgustingly uh, in Australia. Um, so, um, so what I'm saying is that... Um, However, there's deep wisdom within these within these 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 indigenous groups. For example, I remember when I was doing a project with um, at SOAS uh, with a lady called Mandana Sifindeniapur, and she has she's the head of endangered languages um, 
yeah, Endangered Languages Department up at, um, in SOAS. And she showed me a video of this Aboriginal woman sitting on the ground. She was storytelling, singing, po doing poetry, and she was also drawing in the sand. And it was all very choreographed. So to watch this woman in ancient ritual of drawing, as in creating art, making marks, drawing, storytelling, dancing, poetizing, singing all at the same time, all these different modalities of, of communicating a message, of telling a story all at one time. I'm thinking, I don't just have to be a, a writey poet. I don't have to just write on the page to be successful. She's using five different modes to tell a story. So that's how it feeds into me and my practice. It's like, I can do what I want. I don't have to follow the kind of traditional way of, of doing poetry where I have to be a page poet, where I just write for the page and I read really dry and blandly, you know, because that's how... It, no, I don't have to do that. If, I, if I'm a poet, um, I take on everything that is available to me, that is part of the, the palette that's available to me to be able to communicate, to create this community moment for an audience and for myself that holds a space for all of us. I can use all the art forms that I want to in the space. So, um, yeah, I think that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Extensive. Thank you. Um, I'm going to use this as a jumping off point as well to chat about um, uh, the upcoming uh, event that Apples and Snakes are producing uh, alongside um, the Albany or maybe at the Albany, um, which you are a creative director, I think, for, which is called CC's Speakeasy. Um, and mm -hmm. this event is going to happen in, I think, uh, late uh, late May, early June, or no, no, late June, early July. Um, the details That's will be right. in the description. Um, but yeah, could you tell us a bit about CC's Speakeasy? I'm very excited to be a poet also working with you on this project. <laughs> We're going to talk about we're going to talk about you know climate activism in a way which is not depressing. We're going to have some coffee. We're going to have some chocolate, and we're going to hopefully change some hearts and minds. Yeah. So um, with CCs, um, I, I I introduced this poem that I've got called Twenty Twenty Seven and Thinking About Babies, which is about a couple just in intimacy. And, you know, I think it's important that we talk about intimacy. And I wanted to do it in the light that as a black woman, I can write about intimacy in trying difficult times that we, are, we do feel under threat, that we do feel like we could eventually make ourselves extinct if we carry on with our sort of, uh, selfish behaviours. Uh, when I say selfish, I mean like instant gratitude behaviours. So, um, so I, it's about a couple who were thinking about babies but they're concerned about climate issue and I introduced the poem by saying look coffee and chocolate the two plants that are going to go if we get above the two degrees if we hit the two degrees that's the, the that's the tipping point we're already at the tipping point um and Lisa from Apples and Snakes said um you know what there's something in this how about coffee and chocolate was on the verge of extinction and you had to go underground to access it and then she sort of transplanted the story of Bugsy Malone. It's almost like a, the prohibition of chocolate and coffee. And um, imagine having a lady called Cece, Cece's, 22 degrees Cece's, as she says, um, uh, was running it. Um, so chocolate so and coffee, Cece. Chocolate and Cece, that too. Chocolate, I hadn't even thought about that. You're on point. So um, uh, the fact that... Um, 
we wanted to explore how we could talk about issues around climate change and the fact that apples itself wants to take a, the, apples on a journey through environmental activism or environmental justice and climate justice as part of a well-being program as well. Um, I just thought this is I'd love to be on board with this. Um, and because I have also been involved with spoken word and music, Lisa thought that would be also great for me to come on board with this too. So um, I'm really appreciating um, this project because the people who we've got on board, like including yourself, we've got Anthony Joseph, you know, incredible musician, uh, poet, uh, academic as well. Um, Jan Blake, like storyteller, extraordinaire, master or mistress extraordinaire storyteller. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got an incredible group of musicians who we're going to be working with. There's going to be like a, a, a lab session. So we'll get together and it's going to be almost like, for me, I'm almost reminiscing about how we work with music and spoken word with, with, with Truba back in the day, which literally just means troubadours, right? Um, and troubadours just take poetry and music and they put them together and storytell. That's all it is. It's as simple as that. So CCs is going to be, uh, it's, it's going to, we're going to be doing it in a couple of cities across the country, actually. So all of that is in plan, is in planning process. We're going to be having some emerging artists come on board also. Um, so, um, yeah, CCs is going to be a lot of whole of fun. Oh, we're working in collaboration with Jazz Fresh, I forgot to say as well, which is like, I'm like over the moon about that because I've always wanted to work with Jazz Fresh. Um, and they're brilliant to work with as well, like brilliant to work with. So um, we've got, it's going to be, um, we're hoping to, to say something in the music and the spoken word scene that's going to, you know, say something for, for a long time to come, you know? Mm. That's the plan. I am, uh, I am thrilled in, I am thrilled with anticipation uh, to, to be a part of the show and also to, you know, to be a, a, um, I guess to to be looking at it while also to be making it to see how it affects the world and to see how it's going to affect me. Um, so uh, I will make sure that the appropriate details for CCs and uh, the show is going to be in the episode description. So be sure to click there. I think tickets go on sale incredibly soon after this episode will be aired. Uh, but if not, the show will have all of the details um in the episode description um we've we we've talked for a little bit longer than i'd anticipated so i'm going to take this opportunity to play another one of uh of the songs that you sent me um i think we're going to hear femi tamowo and the piece wooden strings um could you just tell us a bit about why you chose this piece to play I have to say this is one of my proudest spoken word and music moments. Thinking about it, I would have done it a little bit differently performance-wise. However, the collaboration itself was, I had such fun and I have always like had a crush on Femi Timoa as a poet, as a guitarist and singer as well, as a composer. Um, and we, all, we were good friends. Um, and I really think that um, this was a really good um amalgamation for me uh, explore exploring working with a jazz musician with a much more um it was very structured you know like I had I had verse chorus verse chorus to work within so that was a nice challenge for me as opposed to being really free and going wherever I want to um but wooden string just the concept of it again really appealing for me because he's talking about how does these two 
things, you put them together and make this incredible sound. And he's all about sound. So that's what this piece says to me. Wonderful. Run the track. Okay, 
so much for letting us air that that was um oh just yeah a really really enrapturing um performance um and thank you for just sharing that um in the intro you were chatting a bit about um uh your obviously your collaboration with uh, femi tomorrow um and this is another thing that i wanted to speak to you about which is collaboration and the importance of um uh, you mentioned it a tiny bit when you were introducing yourself as an artist, as a writer. Um, you know how uh, how 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 young people uh, keep you fresh, and like how and how you know you've experienced um, a lot of great mentoring as well. So could you just talk about like you know the importance of um, collaboration in your work and in your life? Mm. Um, collab uh, writing is obviously quite a solitary thing right um it's just you and your thoughts and <laughs> a blank page screaming at you <laughs> so um there's something about getting in a room with other artists who use um who also have that moment of like it's just me uh and my craft and a blank page for a dancer it might be the empty room the empty hall the empty studio space like what do they do and for me i'm interested in their process because there's so many similarities, but it's also how does your process uh, can, can inform my process as an artist, not just as a writer, but as somebody who has, who uses an artistic lens as part, actually not even uses, who has a, a, an artistic lens sort of like just permanently over my eyes. I can't not look at the world through a poetry, a poetic lens. It's, it's very hard for me not to see the deepness and the profoundness of, of existence. Um, so working with other people, working with collaborating with other people has been a massive part of informing my practice. Yes. But also just feeding and nourishing my soul, which is hungry for, um, new ways to be in the world, the different ways that I can be. I'm a curious person just in general as well. Um, and I have to say, I found working with dancers, the most interesting, um, Filmmakers, visual artists, Why? because you use, because they their body is the instrument, uh, so they feel their way through their craft with their body. Whereas with visual art, you're using your eyes, and you use your eyes as a, as a as a medium to, to feel things viscerally. Whereas dancers, they're in it, everything is visceral for them because they're using their body as an instrument. 
and uh you know visual things is how I use poetry I, I use a lot of imagery so to use dance I'm like I, I've often asked dancers like what do you see when you dance because I need to see in my head what they see and I, well I, I don't see anything I, I just feel it I'm like oh my god that's that's fascinating <laughs> I just it's just a whole other way of being is where how other way existing so I found it very interesting to work with dancers so when I look at a dancer I use my eyes and what I see I write whereas for them it's what they feel it's an interesting exchange. That's all I'm saying. So, um, like I said previously as well, the, the, if we're telling a story, there's all these different modes to tell a story. And I'm interested in how those modes work together in tandem with each other, in synchronicity with each other to tell the story. Um, and also I think collaboration is important mm. because I think human beings need to get together and talk about how culture is made. Um, and, the different lenses that we all look through or hear through, see through, feel through um, is all the different ways that we can be human in the world. And I'm just interested in, in, in hearing in sharing that with other people, it, it being an exchange. Yeah. I think um, um, having a, like having an ability to express yourself, whether that be, you know, especially yourself through movement in dance or through an image and painting or through words in poetry. Um, I think that there's a reason why self-expression is like such a core part of identity building and figuring out who you are to yourself. Um, and it's because it's a way of being able to look at ourselves and being like, right, what is the content of who I am, how can I, and how have I seen this evidenced in the world outside of me? Like I tend to be really solipsistic. So, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, sometimes as writers, it is us and the blank page and all of the dread that that entails. Um, but there's such a joy in seeing other responses to what I have written, something that's come out of my own head, something, an idea that I've had, and then I can actually discuss it with somebody else. Like, um, it's fascinating to me. And especially during the time of the uh, coronavirus pandemic and the lack of physical social interaction, I'm thinking about the loss of ways in which we communally build our identities. We build our, we build our identities individually, but we do it as an act of community. Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to I wanted to throw that to you because um, just because I'm I've thought a lot about your collaborations and and as you say the different art forms um, that you have like highlighted um, uh, and one of my favorite um, one of my favorite collaborations that you have done is. Um, is the track that you released with with Jamie Woon, um, in other words, that was on the the Apples and Snakes Two Five EP? I'm actually holding the vinyl copy right now. I know you can't see it on the uh, see it on the podcast if you're listening, but um, I'm I'm really proud of, of this. Um, and I just wanted to speak about your um, your relationship with with Apples and Snakes because um, 
I mentioned it at the top of the podcast in the introduction that your uh, the, the Apples and Snakes podcast is launching, um, where Yomi Shade will be interviewing uh, Black and British poets. Um, but it comes out of obviously Apples and Snakes, who are like a legendary. And they are the leading spoken word organization in the UK. And I know that you've done a lot of work with them. So could you speak about your relationship with Apples and Snakes and then, uh, yeah, the upcoming Apples and Snakes podcast? Yeah, the Apples and Snakes podcast. Um, that podcast is, is I, I, it was so cool doing it. Really, it was great fun working with Yomi um, and uh, also with Eclipse, uh, who is, um, I know him as Jamal. He's, he's the son of B. Um, who, uh, you know, we were on the poetry scene together. So it's amazing to see him like as a big man now, like doing this poet, doing this poetry in the poetry world. Um, the podcast for me is like, it's long overdue. Apples and Snakes should have had a podcast a long time ago because they've been doing work for so long. Um, and, um, have, have, have had so much to say about how spoken word, um, evolves has evolved over the over the decades. Um, I, I think it's thirty five, not twenty five. Is it thirty five? The album that you've got in your hands. I think it's thirty five. Um, no, no, it, 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 it's called Two Five, and it was released in two thousand and eight. But Apples and Snakes recently had their thirty fifth anniversary a couple of years ago. Oh my bad. Oh my god. So oh wow. So oh wow. So that was ten years ago. Okay. So um, this goes to show, like, because I've been working with Apples and Snakes. My first Apples and Snakes poetry gig was in ninth, before you were born, my friend, 1993, <laughs> right, with, with 1993. And I was, at that time, I was playing percussion and it was all very rhythmic and it was all very sort of like black centered. Uh, and that was when they were, they were in, they had an office in Covent Garden and there was three people working there part time. And that's it. And now it's a national organisation. So I've watched Apples and Snakes evolve and grow. I've watched it trip up. I've watched it pull itself back. I've watched it. It's, it's such an organic organisation. It's almost a bit like a human, you know. Um, and, and I really, Lisa, who's running it now, like I've got a lot of respect for the, the, what she's doing for the, for the journey that she wants to take Apples on over the next like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. So um yeah, I'm, uh, Apples is going to go on a very interesting journey. I'm now there as a consulting associate artist, which means that I really, I have an opportunity to say, look, this is what the artist's experience is like. There may be a few things in your blind spot that you've not noticed, you know, that you've not seen, but I'm, I'm happy to be here to kind of like give you pointers into how we can really, especially with the work around climate and environmental work which is the, the journey that they want to take apples on right now um so the podcast itself i think that's a part of it because they're also looking at how their equality diversity and inclusion and belonging work as well so apples is about doing some serious work right about now reconnecting with the art form reconnecting with the artist art is artist centered it's artist first um and i think you're good apples is gonna it's gonna change shape which it does, you know, it's going to, it's going to mutate and change that. And I think, again, that's about longevity. That's how you sustain, you adapt, you know, as well as being pioneering. You're not just adapting yeah. just to reflect, you adapt to also be a part of the conversation and be a part of leading the conversation when it needs to, it needs some leading. Definitely. I think, um, uh, I was put in mind of the, um, 
uh, Octavia Butler quote from um, Parable of the Sower, I want to say, um, where she says yeah, that um, change is the only constant. Um, you know, we live our lives in change. God is change. Um, because I think that, yeah, to keep to keep a spoken word organization growing, it has to be nimble. And Apples and Snakes, I don't have to run through the list of legendary poets now who have come through Apples and Snakes in history. I mean, just, just on the album that I'm holding that you're on, um, Roger Robinson is featured, the, you know, uh, Jay Bernard is on there, Inua Ellums, Selena Godden, uh, Polar Bear, you know, all of these artists, I mean, even Ty, like rest in peace to the mm. iconic Brixton rapper, poet, and community mm. force that was Ty. But mm. the thing that really keeps me interested in, in, in Apples and Snakes, apart from their art, apart from their artist first ethos, is the fact that they change, they change quickly, they change honestly, but they also change with intention. Um, mm. I've seen them pushing towards something and fighting for something instead of just fighting against the things that are bad. I think they try to offer solutions in the way they do things and in the art that they try to do as well. Um, and so I can't wait to hear the podcast. I can't wait to hear Yomi chatting to yourself and to uh, Caleb Femi is going to be on there. Uh, Kat Francois, like, you know, just these these legends of black British poetry um so i can't wait for that one we've come to the to the sad point of the podcast where i have to try to wrap it up um, we've run a bit longer than usual and i absolutely do not care because there were so many more <laughs> things i wanted to ask you um, but there is a question i try to ask everybody at the end of the interview um and it's a big question but i'm gonna throw it at you again because uh, i know you're adept at answering these and the question is why poetry? Uh, because it's everywhere. And I think it should be um, hailed up as uh, being part of our... I think life is poetic. It's going to sound really corny. Yes, there's loads of practical things that we have to do. We have to pay our bills. Uh, but when you go to work, there's poetry happening right there and then. Human interaction a lot of time is deeper than we think. Uh, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just sheer play and fun and frivolity and joy. Um, but even in that, there's poetry. There's beauty. There's music. There's magic. You know, um, for me, it's all poetry. So... Um, I'm grateful for the craft. I'm grateful that it was gifted to me to be able to express the difficult things that sometimes I haven't been able to express or that English doesn't afford me sometimes. You know, I can just put words in, in weird orders and it will make sense to me, you know, and that's poetry sometimes, you know. Um, so why poetry? My answer is why not poetry? <laughs> I love that. I also like that everyone takes a half second before answering the question and then provides some some sheer genius, some like, you know, some some something that people can take and 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 you know, it has utility, it has motion, it has purpose. Like, oh, yeah. thank you for um 
yeah, thank you for, for, for leaving us with that message. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention before we close off the show? Um, What's I, coming I next for you? An, yeah, yeah. Keep an eye out for a project that I'm doing right now. It's called Being, Seeing, Knowing. And it's, 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 it's anti-racism work. There's that. Um, create to transform dialogue spaces. That's a part of that as well also. And the Fury Project, which is an ex- still, I'm still doing the Fury Project, which is looking at um, the erosion of anger as a transformative power and using it for well-being, using this particular project for well-being. Um, but other than that, I'm just all about CCs right now. I'm super excited about working with musicians and poets. Yeah. Wonderful. I advise everyone to go and check out everything that Zina has mentioned. Um, the links will be in the episode description. Um, and uh, I think that's everything from us, Zina. Thank you so much for coming on the Lunar Poetry Podcast. And shout out to Apples and Snakes as well. Thank you for having me, by the way, PJ. It's been brilliant. Really good. And there it was, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to come along to CC's Speakeasy, uh, the show is running from the 30th of June to July the 3rd at the Albany Theatre in Deptford. Come along for an evening of top draw musicianship, uh, poetry from the likes of myself, Anthony Joseph, storytelling from Jam Blake, Safia Kamara Kinshasa, formerly known as Birdspeed as well, and Amira, formerly known as Amy Leon. Um, It's going to be a wicked show. The link is going to be in the show notes. Um, And if you can't get to Deptford, rest assured, the show will be touring across the country later on. So there'll be other chances to come along. I'd like to say another thank you to Zena for her time, her insight, her consistency and her longevity across her career. Um, Thanks to Apples and Snakes. uh, And thanks to you, wherever, whoever, however you're listening in. Uh, Thanks for sticking around. Give yourself a pat on the back for listening all the way through. And I'm glad you can make the time for us. For more from Xena, go to verseindialogue.com or at Xena underscore E underscore poetics on Instagram. Just a quick run through of some admin bits and notes of gratitude before we round off. Um, Just a reminder, the transcripts will be dropping this year uh, in winter uh, 2021. So keep eyes on the website Lunar Poetry Podcast for that. You can get in contact with the show at Lunar Poetry Pod on Twitter, or you can go to me directly. That's at Repeat Beat Poet or email me uh, the Repeat Beat Poet at gmail.com with LPP in the title. Uh, thanks to Ella Jean of Mystery Planet Productions on production skills. And uh, Ella was actually recently featured on Anchor FM, our podcast host, uh, as part of the Panic Pod, which is a great mental health awareness podcast that you can vote for at this year's British Podcast Award in the L- Listener's Choice category. Um, you could also vote for the Lunar Poetry Podcast if you wanted to, uh, but no pressure. As a famous poet once said, it's not about the points, it's about the poetry. Our next episode will be with Selena Godden, the phenomenal writer, and uh, she's got a wicked novel out called Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death. Had a good chat with her about that. So uh, make sure you subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, we're everywhere we are. Um, Make sure you tune in for that next time. I've been your host, 
doing the most, the repeat beat poet. Thank you for listening.